Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. Thank you once again for joining us on our third, yes, our third Com Surgery. I'm Christine Townsend. For those of you who don't know me, I am the founder and president of PIO Toolkit and Trusted Update. Um, I'm so glad to have you here. We're having a lot of fun already with these uh, Com Surgeries, and I've got some fantastic panelists with me this month. Um, remember, please answer, ask your questions in the box below, wherever it is on my screen. Um, anything you want. Um, we've got some amazing wealth of uh, experience and knowledge here today. So take your chance to uh, to get some great advice on any of your comms conundrums. So without further ado, um, we have Mallory White, Joseph Torcelli and Wayne Dell. I'm going to ask Mallory to introduce herself first, please. Go ahead, Mallory. Hi, everybody. Uh, so my name is Mallory White. I am the Chief Communications Officer at the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Uh, basically, I'm the lead public information officer for any natural or man-made disaster in our state. As you all may know, if you've watched the national news in the past month, uh, we had a very um, horrendous string of tornadoes come through our state on March 24th. And so that is what we have been working on. And I'm really excited. Thank you so much, Christine, to have uh, for having me today. Um, I, I just want to share a little bit of that experience and some of my lessons that I've learned. And I'm still in the middle of this response right now. And so um, thank you again for having me. Really looking forward to being on this panel. Well, I mean, thank you, I think, more like. Um, <laughs> if you're a bit busy, taking an hour out of your day, a uh, week to do this is uh, is amazing. So I'm truly appreciative of that. Um, over to Joseph Porcelli from next door. Take it away. Sure will. Hello, neighbors. Um, so my name is Joseph Porcelli. I'm Nextdoor's global public agency and natural disaster preparedness and response lead. Uh, what that basically means is that I support folks like Mallory and um, PIOs across the country and work with CDC, FEMA, EPA, White House, all kinds of folks to help to be helpful from the perspective of our platform. I also have access to communicate uh, to every next door member uh, where we operate. And so in times where there isn't someone like Mallory who has access at the state level, I'll jump in and share information um, put out by federal, state, local uh, partners, and also encourage neighbors uh, to help each other, which they can do on our platform because everybody that's using Nextdoor is a neighbor. And often, sometimes you just need to nudge them to think about how they can help each other. Uh, and so I'll be sharing some experiences uh, that I've learned from those experiments and some things that worked and some things that haven't. And hopefully that'll be helpful to you. And I just want to say thank you for inviting me here, Christine. I'm honored to be on the panel. Thank you so much. And we'll move last, but by no means least. I'm so pleased to have Wayne here. Um, we haven't yet managed to speak, but I do love uh, reading about his experiences. So, Wayne, over to you. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on, Christine. Uh, my name is Sergeant Wayne Delk. I'm with Cobb County Police Department here in Georgia. Uh, I've been the PIO manager now for going on six years. Uh, I, I served as a PIO several years ago, back in 2005 to 2007 as an officer. And when I came back to the role as the manager, uh, the role had changed tremendously. And that was one of the things that I wanted to, to get our department up on is, is to become more proactive in our messaging. And so what we've been concentrating on is basically branding 
making sure that we are out in the community and that we are a part of the community and they know we are part of the community. We're interacting and we are so much more active on social media. Um, and what I, that's one of the things I want to talk about, how you can mitigate a lot of negative press and negative interactions with the public by being proactive and getting out and, and making sure that they know who you are and that you are involved in so many aspects of public life. That's wonderful. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, but I think we'll we'll get started. We've already got some questions. So I'm going to start with um, Mallory. Consider, considering all that's going on, I bet you've got so much to share. Um, can you tell me what's been one of your biggest communication barriers during what you've been working on um, at the moment with the tornadoes? Yeah, so there are a few of those communication barriers here in Mississippi, especially whenever the tornadoes initially came through. Uh, we had knocked out power, knocked out cell phone service, those types of things. So the way that we would communicate with those residents initially, like through Nextdoor and those types of platforms, social media, Facebook, Twitter, they weren't going to be able to get those messages because they have no cell phone service their phone literally flew and they cannot find it anymore. And so uh, the second that we learned that we um, had assistance available, which happened very quickly, which typically doesn't, but we were boots on the ground. We had to go back to very, very traditional ways of communicating with our folks, uh, with our survivors. That was flyers, that was getting on radio stations. That was newspapers. So Rolling Fork, Mississippi has a robust community of newspaper readers still. And so they became some of our best friends in trying to get that information out to those survivors. Um, so that was part of it. And of course, we do use the social media platforms and we're going to push all of that information out on our social media. The ability to geo-target has made such a huge difference but then you also have people who um, they're not living in those designated affected counties. They're having to go to neighboring counties to stay in shelters, hotels, those types of things. So we had to uh, be really in tune to where these folks were, were living and staying at to make sure and, and then go bring flyers to their hotel rooms. So we have worked with a number of of course, FEMA, um, but we've worked with a number of volunteers that's bringing flyers to our grocery stores, to our faith-based community, our pastors, um, the NAACP, the fraternities around here, the sororities around here, um, and, and going to the trusted leaders in those communities. Because sometimes people look at us and they're, we're government. Who, they don't want to trust us. But if we share that information with those community leaders that they're familiar with, they'll trust this process. And um, another tool that uh, we started using, it was after Hurricane Ida. And um, one thing, if you're struggling with getting folks to hear your message, at least from an emergency management standpoint, at least from my uh, position, we utilize school superintendents. So they have their own way of pushing messaging out to their parents. And so we called up the school superintendents in these affected counties and said, hey, we have these flyers in Spanish, English, and Vietnamese. Can you send these with your students so they can tell their parents that they can apply for assistance? That's one of our big message messages right now is please apply for the FEMA assistance. And after we did that, we saw our numbers go up. 
Another thing that we are trying to get our other state agencies to keep in mind is when someone goes through uh, a disaster such as traumatic, as the one on the 24th, I mean, people, a lot of people died. We had 21 people that died. People don't have homes anymore. You have to, for lack of a better term, spoon feed them the information because mentally they're being inundated with all kinds of information coming to them. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of our students had to relocate um, and they were being urged to wherever you're sheltering right now, finish out the school year in that area. So if you were from Rolling Fork, but you're staying in Vicksburg, you need to finish out the the um, school year in Vicksburg. And so initially the flyer was go to this website and find that school district number. And my suggestion to them was, no, you need to list out all of the available school districts and their phone numbers, and you have to spoon feed it to them. Another one of our agencies, so, and, and this means communication can affect operations. So another one of our agencies, uh, people need vital records, their birth certificates, those types of things. It was all swept away in the tornado. And they wanted to tell people to call a phone number and we'll mail it to you. I said, these folks no longer have mailboxes and they're not staying at home. They're staying in hotels. And messaging can affect operations, which means we then got um, mobile trailers out there that could provide those vital records on the ground. Um, so sometimes you just got to take it back old school with your messaging. Utilize your radio stations. They have been running PSAs for free for me. Going to your newspaper, stuffing a flyer in the newspaper, getting that word out. But of course, obviously, our geo-targeting really does um, help with getting that message out. Word of mouth. Hey, did you know this is available? No, I had no clue. Yeah, I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, I saw it on Nextdoor. You need to use this or apply for this. So that's just one of the things that I've seen in this disaster, particularly. There's a big communication barrier. Um and we all know this, everyone receives their information differently. Some people look just at Twitter. Some people look just at Facebook. And then some people only look in the newspaper. And so we've had to really invest in our newspaper ads and our boots on the ground efforts, mm -hmm. especially for this one. Hurricane season's a little bit different. Uh, we're able to get most of the time um, power restored fairly quickly, depending on how bad the hurricane is. Um, but this one took a little bit longer and there is a, there's an age, there's an age gap in certain areas. Um, the older population that won't use social media or can't use social media, we had to keep in mind. I mean, it seems it's a phenomenal operation, but actually you touch on so many key points there. I'd mm. love to unpack and it probably would warrant its whole own w webinar. Um, I think you, you, Definitely the highlighting the importance of knowing who your stakeholders are, knowing who the influence are, influencers are, um, because without knowing those, um, you don't know how to communicate with them and with, through which channels. So um, it, it, you are right. It's that, that operational response, um, you know, does shift depending on how people are getting their information. So I think you've highlighted some really, really key points there. And, and I will come back to those. Um, I just 
there's almost too much to, to all right. <laughs> not at all because it is it's important but actually um i think it's important to apply those that methodology to day-to-day activities as well it's not just when the big one happens and and also i suppose it's important to look at recovery as well and the work doesn't stop once the disaster stops um and so it's just a cycle isn't it of of the communication so and and i think um it kind of leads on to a question that I have for, for Joseph um, around, you know, how are you getting people to prepare for disasters, but also getting them to help other people? Because Mallory touched upon, like, you know, there are those people that can influence others who aren't government. Um, so how, how do you how do you help people to, to help others? Um, I, I'm going to answer that, but I just want to just emphasize something that Mallory said that's so important about reaching people where they are through trust and messengers. Like that applies on social and it applies on analog. Um, when I worked for Boston police years and years ago, um, when I was organizing neighborhood watch groups, it was the head of the mother of the mom's association who broke through and got like 60 moms involved on 60 streets. And it was all analog. Now this is back in like 2007. So, you know, we had Twitter and we had a, like a blog at the time, but it, we didn't have the other tools that we have today. So I just think that's super important. When, when we when we talk about preparedness, there was a study done back in 2013, 2014. I'm maybe getting the dates wrong, somewhere around that time range. Um, and it was under Presidential Proclamation 8. And basically they looked at who's going to prepare. And what they learned is a third of people will prepare, a third of people might prepare, and about a third of people won't prepare. And preparation is often a luxury, right? It takes funds and finances and time. And for folks who are working multiple jobs or speak multiple, who don't speak English well or um, don't make too much money, you know, buying that go kit and storing $200 worth of goods away in a bag isn't available. So one of the things that I've been experimenting with on the platform um, for a number of years now is what I call incremental preparedness. Um, and again, Mallory touched on this as well. Mallory, I think you should talk anytime before I talk. You help me say a lot, a lot, uh, many more smarter things. So thank you for that. Um, but you know, make it bite size and consume, right? So if there's a tornado coming, sometimes I'll see folks like go look at ready.gov. There's tons of information on there and it's really overwhelming. So the public information officers we see that are using next door, um, who have been through events like this and have had who have had unfortunately had the opportunity to learn the lessons are offering one action to do at a time over time. And one of the things that's hard about preparedness is it's hard to measure. So there's some work we've done about measuring, which I'll touch on in a second. But a point I want to make, and I think this is a good takeaway for everyone, often when you're thinking about sharing public information, you know, you're talking to the media, multiple responsibilities. But one of the things I think there's room for growth for everyone is to invest more in educating your community about what they need to prepare for, right? And we have like weeks and months and that kind of stuff. But what I've seen and what drives the most engagement on Nextdoor and what people most seem to appreciate are these one things. Like what, what's one thing I need to do, right? Do I have enough NOAA weather radio? Do I have multiple ways to get emergency information? I'm doing an experiment right now with Sonoma County in California, emergency management, and we're trying to get people actually, we're using Nextdoor to communicate, and we've taken a couple polls. We asked, do you have an agreement with your neighbors who may be vulnerable 
to help them evacuate. And we asked, do you have an agreement, if you're vulnerable, to get help from a neighbor to evacuate? And we got some stats on that. And right now we're in the middle of promoting going out and knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, hey, do you need help? Or, hey, I'm going to need help. Will you help me? Right. So we have to build capacity before all these disasters hit. Now, we've seen, right, one in third, one three Americans have been impacted by a natural disaster. Um, 90% of disasters involve flooding. There are something like $15 billion disasters in the last, in 2022. I mean, it's it's kind of nonstop, right? We're in Mallory, every time I look at SBC, I like cringe because I something's going to hit Mississippi again, right? So I guess my point is this incremental ongoing preparedness is something that we have to do. And what I found that works on next door, and I'll pop, uh, Christine, can I pop something in the chat that people can see our content library? So over the last three years, I built out this content library and there's different collections of information. There's fire prevention, there's uh, emergency preparedness, there's crime prevention. Um, there's posts that have your colleagues have shared or we've come up with and tested that have worked that you can just take and make your own and publish. And all the images are royalty free. You're going to see things like kitchen tables and stoves. They're from my house. Like use them. Like you don't have to worry about that stuff. Um, but neighbors love polls. No one wakes up in the morning and they're like, hey, honey, let's talk about no weather radios. That has never happened. Right. But polls make it fun and accessible for people. And in terms of getting people to help prepare each other, you can ask simple questions like, do you know the names of your neighbors who live to, to the right, to the left, in front and behind you, or if you're in a, a city above or below you, right? Do you know who may need help evacuating? Have you, before the storm arrives, have you checked with your neighbors who are elder or vulnerable to make sure that they're aware that there is a tornado watch, right? So when we think about communication, we often think about communicating just to the first level of our audience. We can go past that. We can say, are you prepared? Here's how to prepare specific steps. And here's how to help your neighbors. And I even suggest language. Go knock on your neighbor's door in Sonoma County. Go knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, the last time the wildfire hit, people died because they didn't have an evacuation plan. I don't want that to happen. I'm trying to save lives. Do you have a plan? Do you have the means to evacuate? And so those things were in the federal term, it's like force multiplier. I hate that term, but I think people understand it. So what are you suggesting your neighbors can do for each other is a great place to start. That's fantastic. Thank you, um, Joseph, because I, I know that um, I know it's a big passion of yours and I think community is so key and it's something I always like to talk about. And um, I just I do have a question to go back to Mallory shortly, but um, kind of and both of you have so far touched upon trust and how important that is. And um, so I sort of wanted to ask Wayne about that, because I mean, being in the police, we know that um, it's probably the hardest type of agency to get trust, but actually maybe it is broader than that. So branding is so important to that. Um, and, you know, what, what is the importance and, and how does it relate to building trust when, you, when you've got branding on social? Um, but generally, I suppose, particularly when it comes to your agency, what, what are your recommendations around that? Uh, I'm glad you asked that. That is, that is something that... Um that our agency has been working diligently at for the last several years. And you're absolutely right. Um, I, I agree with everything that Mallory and Joseph have both said, but for us on the PD side, it really is, um, or it, it can start off as an uphill battle to gain that trust. 
uh, Mallory hit on a great point, and it's something we've been working towards the last several years, is making sure that we reach out to those stakeholders, those people, those organizations that are already out in the public and that already have a good following and good standing within the public. And we partner with several different agencies, uh, organizations. Uh, we're talking national, uh, local, uh, just to do different events with them. Um, we've hosted events. They've hosted events. We've partnered with um, the NAACP, SCLC, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Trial. You name the organization, we've done something with them. That does uh, uh, several things for us. It, it helps to build trust within the community. They realize that we are part of the community and we aren't just there when things go bad, but we're there while things are going good and we want to keep that line of communication open. But also when things do go bad, when there is a crisis, we have additional means of communicating with the public. Mallory hit on that. Sometimes they may not come to our page. They may not look to our page for information. They may actually go to another organization. So what we've started doing is if, if, um, if there is a, a, a certain event that, um, that affects not only our agency, but maybe another public agency, we'll share the same information. If they've already put out information, they've already curated a post, we can just share their post and vice versa. So that partnership is, is beneficial when times are good, but also when there is a crisis, when that crisis hits, uh, we've already built up a trust relationship with the public. So sometimes they will come directly to us for information. Um, the, the worst thing a police agency can do, and I preach this all the time when I teach, the worst thing a, a police agency can do is when there's a crisis that involves their agency, is to wait and wait and wait and allow other people to push out information. Because a lot of times that information, although they may be well-intended, uh, they, they may be incorrect. And we generally will have the best information if it involves our agency. So it's always a good idea not to wait for things to get so bad, oh, well now we have to say something. No, push out the factual information that you are allowed to push out. Push it out sooner rather than later. And also share that information with those organizations you've already built a relationship with and have them also echo that correct information because they can correct a lot of misinformation that gets out early on in some of these situations. Our situation is obviously going to be a lot different uh, than what Mallory deals with, but they can be just as devastating to the public. So it's, it's important to build that trust beforehand. So branding for us has to do a lot not just with our brand, our name, it has to do with our name should be associated with us being trustworthy, that we are constantly pushing out good, positive information about our agency. And if something negative happens, well, by God, we're going to go ahead and we're going to push that information out also. And it's not to make excuses for it, but also, but it is to put out what is factual. So if we have to answer for something that may not be too good for us, may not look good for us, we need to put out the factual information and that way we can just spell any rumors based around that. And I think consistency is the key, isn't it? Because once you have that strong brand that is constant, consistent and reliable, then people are less likely to believe misinformation about an agent. Correct. It doesn't fit in with your narrative and with your brand because it, it's um, it, in contrast. So I think it's so important to just be so on top of that every day you know we, you're, you're absolutely right and I, I'm going to come back to you with the question that I have for Mallory as well because I think it's important for both but I have a feeling you're going to have different answers um so and it's around stakeholders um so Mallory um 
we Chad was asking, like, what does it, what did it look like to actually get stakeholders involved with you spreading that message? How did you go about that? So um, it's a couple of different things. So we have our FEMA partner who actually does have a lot of connections around here. But we have at NEMA our individual assistance department, you would say. And our IA department works with private nonprofit organizations. They work with those community leaders. They have personal relationships with them. And so I said, I need their email addresses. That's what I need. So, um, uh, and we also have something called the Joint Information Center. And if you're not familiar with, if you are a PIO and you're not familiar with the Joint Information Center, you need to get familiar with it. So a Joint Information Center uh, for us, for our agency is, I'm the lead of it. And it is all of the state PIOs coming together in one some people do an in-person room. I like to do virtual in one room and we're sharing all the information. So my PIO for the Department of Health is we're opening a field hospital. It's opening at this time, this, this, this. And I take all of this information and put it on one press release and that's it. No one else has their own messaging. It comes from one and it is a state press release. It's not a MEMA. It's a state press release. Um, but going back to the stakeholders, um, I also have, it, it's Mississippi. Everybody knows everybody. Um, <laughs> I'll just be quite honest with you. So someone in my office, her husband works for One Voice, which works for the NAACP. And so we were able, and then like my FEMA counterpart, who's wonderful, she's an AKA. And so she has a lot of connections as well. I'm also friends with a lot of AKAs, which is a very popular sorority. And I used to be a news reporter and so I have a lot of connections with the media around here as well, which has helped. And so it has kind of grown a little bit naturally. But if you've taken that FEMA PIO class at 95, 5%, I know what I'm working on on that 95. So when the 5% hits, I'm going to I'm gonna be building up my stakeholder list even more. Um, a lot of it was like I had conversations and meetings with the Mississippi Baptist Association, Catholic Charities, those types of things, because they play, the faith-based organization, especially in Mississippi, plays a huge role in our recovery efforts. And so it's about having, making time in your schedule to have those meetings. Another thing too, though, um, and it happens a lot, especially right after a disaster, we are being asked to go into the community and teach preparedness. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to do. We can't do it this month because we're obviously actively engaged, but we're getting into the schools. We're getting into the churches and talking to them and letting them know that you can actually have a really big role in recovery um, and response. And this is this is the role that you could play. Um, so it, it really is having those one-on-one -on -one conversations and Everybody knows everybody and so that helps a lot. Well, relationships are key. And I think people forget that, um, you know, when it, before social media sounded like a dinosaur, but it was, if you didn't actually speak to someone, you didn't have a relationship. So it's easy to fall into the trap of digital communication and it is, it's absolutely vital. Um, but yeah, knowing someone and being able to pick up the phone is quite 
you know, or send the letter maybe, um, is really important. But Wayne, how about you? Because you, I mean, it's a slightly different setup for you, I'm sure, but I imagine the principles are the same. But how do you actually go out there and, and actually convince, I mean, it's, it, it is, it is convincing people. It is like persuasion, isn't it? To get people to be your spokespeople, your unofficial spokespeople. How do you do that? Oh, okay. You're back. Uh, my, my screen froze for just a second there. Uh, yeah, for, for the police department, it is, a, it is quite a bit different. Uh, and it doesn't fall to the PIOs. Um, and I, I'm lucky I'm not a solo PIO. I have two officers that work in my office. But it's, it's not left to us to make those, um, those connections. It actually falls upon our command staff. That's from the chief on down to deputy chiefs and majors to make those connections. And it falls to the, to the head of the agency first and foremost. But we also, we have, we're a large enough agency in Cobb County. We have a community affairs unit. So we are actually able to go out to different events and partner with. Um, we have enough officers occasionally. We can have some of our officers um, who are working the beats uh, to pull off for a moment to go to different, these different organizations when they have meetings, just to be present, just to be seen, and also to interact with uh, the organizers as well as the public who are there at those meetings. So it, it, it's a bit of a different animal. For us, it's not, I think it's not as bad now as it might have been 10 years ago because we have made, we've made all those inroads and we have continued to cultivate those relationships. We have a lot of sit down meetings. When I say we, our command staff, they had a lot, they have a lot of sit down meetings with members of these organizations. And these are regularly scheduled meetings. They do this all the time. And it's, it's not just because something is bothering one or the other. It's just to keep in touch. It's to keep those lines of communication open. And these are face to face meetings. Those are really important for when those, those bad incidents do come up when they do happen. We've already had those communications. We've already talked about how we're going to message. And we've also already talked how we're going to share information back and forth. Uh, th those, those organizations, those leaders in those organizations, they get a seat at the table. They are aware of things that the general public are not, um, because it behooves us to share as much information with them in those situations so that they can help to get the correct information to the public on our behalf. Um, the worst thing that could happen is we could withhold information that would help the public better understand the situation just because I think it might make us look bad. That's, we're not, we're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to serve the public. We are part of the public. So for us, it's more about making sure that we're getting the correct information to the correct people at the correct time, which is as soon as possible. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And I think transparency and accountability is so important. And really, if you look at Peely and Prince Hall's policing principles, that's what it all comes down to. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of community engagement in that sense. Um, and I'm going to sit with you for a moment, Wayne, on that. Um, and then we'll, we'll move over for different perspectives. But how do you measure success? when it comes to that kind of community engagement. What, what's your benchmark for what went well and what didn't? How, how do you assess that? It's a difficult uh, thing to assess it, but what we've looked at is um, when we do have things that we're pushing out on social media, because we can actually look at the different comments and responses we get on social media. Um, and I look now at the, the comments and responses we get uh, just for diff for any and everything on our social media pages, when we do have an event or an incident that 
may spark some bit of uh, public outcry from some members of the public. And I look at some of the responses from other members of the public who actually will point those dissenters to information that we have already pushed out. They've already responded to that. You should go back and look at this post. So um, it helps us in that we realize we are reaching the public. They are paying attention to the information that we do push out. And a lot of times we don't have to go back and defend ourselves uh, on some of our social media uh, posts or posts made by others uh, um, putting us in a bad light. The public will point those people to the correct information. And that is a, a, a really good indicator that it's working, that, that the fact that we are reaching out, we are pushing out information to the public in a timely manner, that that is actually having the effect we want it to have, that the information is getting to our public. Yeah, I think having advocates to do your job for you is just like gold. And when, when you've got people fighting your battles for you on social, it's like dream come true. Um, and Mallory, I'm going to move to you on this subject. What are your... KPIs and around, you know, post-incident debrief, you're looking at the columns, what went well, what didn't, what do you consider to be success? And then how do you go about adjusting or, or re reviewing that? So for us, it's, it's measured on a few different things. Um, whenever we're looking at, especially in, in this particular situation, how many people actually have applied for assistance? That means that they're hearing the message, they're they're getting the message. And then, of course, we're going to look at the analytics of everything that we've posted as well. Um, I will say, though, one of the things that breaks my heart is hearing someone say, well, I had no idea. Whenever you put so much time, effort, money, energy into going out there and, and putting the information out. And so it makes you scratch your head of what else could I do um, to make sure. So the assistants, um, just like Wayne said, those folks coming to your, your defense on social media, um, because we've, we've obviously, everyone's going to have pros and cons on any type of response. Um, but one of the things that I feel like we've been successful in, uh, we've really quelled the rumors that have been going on, um, because everyone is set, you know, FEMA's given out $800 and things like that. And so I haven't really seen that much during this. Um, one of the biggest compliments I've ever seen on social media is my boss was up there during a press conference and I'm reading the, the comments and they said, oh, Mima's here. We know everything's going to be taken care of. And I was like, that's probably one of the biggest compliments because it means that people have faith in us uh, because we've been activated on a few things that are not considered the norm no. for us um, from a water crisis to an electrical crisis to uh, obviously COVID, which all of us dealt with. Um, so to get that, that, that makes me feel really good. And, and you don't hear as many complaints. Uh, I haven't been hearing as many complaints on that end. Um, for this. So I feel like we've been very successful, but none of the success can happen without, and I, I'm be remiss to say, the FEMA boots on the ground. We have almost 500 FEMA folks here that are helping us spread the word. So we have to have that buy-in from folks to help share that message. And so trusting us that we're giving them the right information to 
Um, and the volunteers, the oh my gosh, the volunteers have been amazing in this, and they also help us spread. We we drop off information at donation sites and volunteer sites and those types of things. And so I feel like um, we're not we're not in the we're not anywhere near the end of this fight whatsoever. But I feel like we've been pretty successful so far. And tomorrow we're going to be putting out another video of letting people know. This is where we are in the response. We saw a lot of good success when uh, my boss did the first video and he said, look, our first two priorities right now, debris removal and utility restoration. That's what we're, that's what we're focused on. And I think people appreciated that, that even though we weren't promising anything, we were just saying, look, this is what we're working on right now. That's fantastic. And I mean, it's such a behemoth of, you have, I imagine you have to be incredibly dynamic as, as circumstances dictate on how your messaging plays out. Um, but um, from moving to Joseph, kind of following on from this, you're going to have slightly different perspective from how you see people react um, on next door to what is successful and what isn't, like what works and what doesn't when it comes to engaging people. Um, and I, it's, it's all well and good being an agency and asking for feedback because you're going to get slightly different to what you just see from your position. So what would... What would your advice be or what would you give us an example of what is successful and what isn't when engaging with stakeholders? Um, I'm going to answer that question, but I want to just jump back again real quick. Um, I just shared a link in the chat um, to a document called the Community Center uh, Engagement Plan for Law Enforcement, in which Christine actually assisted with. This was about a year ago. Starting on page 10, there's three polls that you can ask. The idea here... The polls basically ask, are you aware that we, um, actually, let me just pull this up here. Are you aware of the services we provide? The second poll asks, if you have used our services in the past three months, please rate your level of satisfaction. And the third one is, as a result of our communications on Nextdoor, have you taken any of the following actions? That'll give you some qualitative data. And if you ask these polls every three months on Nextdoor, you can see how it changes over time. And those can be measures or indicators of success, right? This isn't exactly scientific. Uh, our head of research or cert, you know, who does surveys at XNR would be like, well, Joseph, that's not statistically. Yeah, I know. But it gives you signal, which is really important. So just to add to the other conversations, I think that's important. You can also do this for if you do a bunch of communications about, you know, tornado preparedness and then. You know, you do that over three weeks. And then the fourth week, you ask, as a result of our communications over the last month about tornado preparedness, which of the actions have you taken? And people will give you that input. You can then say, depending on how you were the question, this many more people have a NOAA weather radio, have identified a shelter, right? Like, understand the difference between a watch and a warning, all those things that are important. And by the way, I've done polls in... Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, like all those states, Georgia, and on average, between 10 and 15 people with a sample size of thousands don't know the difference between a tornado watch and a warning. So, all right, I'm going to stop there. Christine, can you ask your question again? Because I got too late to think about this. And I forgot I was mesmerized by, I don't know what the difference is between a watch and a warning. We never even knew what tornado was. We'll cut you up. I'll let you pray afterwards and we'll all take care of you, okay? Because you need to yeah, since I moved to Texas, it kind of freaked me out. But uh, 
Well, actually, it's quite interesting because um, one of the things when I did move was I didn't know any of this. I've never experienced weather like Texas weather before in my life coming from the UK. And I was actually seeking out information. I didn't know where to go. And as soon as I heard that siren go off, it scared the Jesus out of me. So um, no to anyone, if you've got someone coming from a completely different country, maybe <laughs> think about them as well or those that are on vacation. Um, but joking aside, so my, my, my question was, uh, how do you see... Um, Success. What does successful stakeholder engagement look like to you from uh, the point of view of your role? Sure. So um, there's a great theory called job theory, jobs to be done. And it's it's uh, there's actually an article in Harvard's Business Review about it. But basically the statement is understand the progress your customers are trying to make when they buy your services. So Right. In, in this world, your community, whether, you know, depending on who you're communicating with or your customers, oftentimes I see an agenda that the agency has, and that's not always married with the agenda the community has. So it's really important to ask your community, what do you want? What do you need? What would be helpful to you? And then start communicating about that and then ask them, how are we doing? Are there gaps in our communications? Is there something else that would be helpful to you? The more you ask, the more you listen, the more you demonstrate that you heard and that you're tailoring your communications to them, you are then satisfying their jobs to be done. And so I think I, I often see that and I, I appreciate it's difficult. There are politics involved. Sometimes it's not safe to ask certain questions because you can't respond to it. It's outside of your control or there's other forces at play, right? We've seen that time and time again over the last couple of years. So listen to your community, ask your community, listen to your community, demonstrate that you're listening, iterate and repeat the process. Doing that and will help you solve their problems, which in turn builds trust. And, you know, I was thinking about what Wayne was saying, or the sergeant, excuse me, uh, was saying earlier about building brand. At the end of the day, what does the brand feel like? So let's talk about Chewy. It's one of the most beloved brands. We ordered, the, I accidentally ordered the wrong dog food the other day. It came and I called them like, hey, I, I ordered, I'm really sorry. They're like, it's okay, it happens sometimes. Just donate it to somebody who needs, a family that needs dog food in your town. I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. Thank you. And they FedExed one out the next day so my dog didn't run out of food. They like took care of me. My job to be done was like, I need food for my dog. And I felt bad. And they're like, no, just give it away. So their brand made me feel good. It made me feel good about my mistake, which is good, and it helped. They got me what I needed. How do your community? How does your community feel about your services? I feel I feel like that's a really important question to ask, and it's really important when you get that good feedback to share it throughout your organization. And like Mallory, what you guys, your ground game in Mississippi, like I want to I want to like fly there and talk to you all day about everything you're doing. Because that's so important because it's how do people feel? How are you helping them, right? How are you meeting them where they are? Those are important questions to ask, document, and share in turn. That's um, so important to remember. And um, it reminds me of a campaign I worked on with the police department um, called You Said We Did. And um, it is painful to ask the questions. 
um, because quite often you know you're asking because there are problems. Um, and so when you get those responses that hurt because, you know, they're right or they're just really difficult subjects or issues, but it gets it out in the open. And so we did it. You said we did. So, you know, it was we literally outlined what the issue was. And so we did this about it and we publicised that everywhere we, we could. Um, and it was not just, you know, the citizens, it was also, well, all citizens, but if we were arresting someone and they had complaints about the process, we would take that on board and actually we would look at whether we could change the process um, which was a little controversial for other citizens who weren't getting arrested, but it was still important to show that we were being all inclusive about who we were providing a service to. So um, I do think it is, you, you, I think you forget to ask how you're doing sometimes, um, probably because you're scared of the answers. It's like going to a boss and saying, am I doing okay? When you know that they're not oh, well, but it gets it out in the open. And, and as soon as you can identify a problem, you can deal with the problem. So that's really, really good point. And, um, Wayne, I know you're so pro community engagement. Um, what would you say has been the toughest feedback you've encountered that you've been able to successfully deal with through your role in communication? Believe it or, yeah, believe it or not, the uh, the toughest criticism we tend to get is from our officers um, because we tailor a lot of our communications to the public and. Um, so a lot of our communication isn't law enforcement related or related to actually making arrests or law enforcement duties as, um, traditionally seen law enforcement duties. Uh, so some of the, the biggest criticism we've gotten over the last few years has been from some of our fellow law enforcement officers. So we've had to sort of educate them, uh, and our chief is, is totally on board. This is, uh, our branding is something that came from the top down, which is what it should be. It, it, this whole idea of uh, a several pronged approach to reaching the citizens, it's not just enforcement activities for us. It is community engagement. It is uh, reaching out to stakeholders and partnering with other organizations, not, not only other law enforcement organizations, but other organizations outside law enforcement. So the big, the big, uh, the big thing for us has been to get the rank and file on board with this whole process. And for us, the younger officers seem to get it. It's, uh, it's mainly, uh, my generation of officers who, uh, have had a, a bit of a hard time understanding it. Although they, for the most part have come on board. It's just, they, they've had to understand, yes, we're pushing out a lot of information about the soft things as they see it. But we still push out enforcement activity as well because that's something that the public wants to see as well. That's that is our main job is to enforce the laws of the state of Georgia. But at the same time, we're still part of this community, so they still want to see us actually interacting with the community and things that are not enforcement activities, but that also help us to actually have a uh, up to this point for the last two years a one hundred percent clearance rate on our homicide, which is unheard of. So there, there's a reason behind it and it is working and it's getting that information to the rank and file has now started to help them come on board. But that's been the hardest thing for us, actually. Well, firstly, I'm moving there. Um, <laughs> for those crime stats. Um, I'm not sure I like the heat though, but um, internal comms is so, it's my least favorite 
type of comms and it's actually often forgotten that you know i i, I often share a story of um an officer who was involved in a high profile case of mine and it was broadcast live on sky news um and her family saw it before she saw it and knew about it and it was a an officer involved shooting on a terrorist incident so it was kind of a big deal especially in the uk um and we just forgot to tell her and so i say we um yes organizationally so i um I think that's so important because it's so easy to forget your your coworkers, and and oftentimes they have the best ideas, but they don't feel that like they can come forward and 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 speak about them as well. So you made a really really good point there because it's you can't get the community engagement message out if you haven't got the investment from your own members because they're not going to push that forward because firstly they probably don't know about it secondly they don't understand it and they may not even agree with it so um that's really interesting and I'm, I'm so glad you raised that and Mallory you must have to do an awful lot of internal comms yes so um it all starts with um so my boss's motto is people 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 first set are the people who work here at MENA Second set are the 82 EMA directors that we serve along with the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. And then the third set of people, the 2.9 million Mississippians that we serve. And so whenever we have anything come out, um, Mima All is the one that usually gets it first. Um, they all know about it. Um, one of the things that some of the main communicators that I talk to are our area coordinators who work directly with our EMA directors. And we have built a trust with each other that now if something happens, I usually get the phone call first before their boss. Sometimes they're like, Hey, we just want to make sure you know that this has happened out here. So yes, the internal communication is so important because we have so many programs we have so much different things going here and there and everywhere and you never know whose phone is going to ring with a citizen who needs some type of information on assistance or help and so i will write talking points for the entire agency and send it out to them so they know that, all right, if someone's calling and they need FEMA assistance, they can call this number. We can go ahead and direct, and direct them so we don't have to send them to five other people in the building. They're already stressed out. They're already probably a little upset. And then the government's going to pass me around five different times before I can get an answer. So internal communication is huge before an event during an event and after the event um, before so I can so we can all know all right where are we setting up um, staging areas for resources so whenever this sucker hits we have it ready to go I need to know that type of stuff um, it is helpful to have a boss and executive staff that understands how how important communication yeah. is they've invested in it I have a five-member team here for external affairs which is very unheard of in a lot of areas um and so they've actually taken the time to invest in us um and so we have people on my team that can fly a drone we do we have in-studio live interviews going and it looks very nice and so um but the internal communication is key because 
a lot of our folks, those are the boots on the ground. So they need to have that information with them before the public has it. And also, I think people forget that we're also citizens as well. Um, You know, we still pay our tax as well. So it's kind of like, would I be happy about this communication as a citizen? And it's important to have that in mind as well. And one of the things we did, I, I can't remember who said it earlier, they may be afraid to to mention or bring ideas. So one of the things we did whenever we were building our MEMA app is we put out survey monkeys. All right, how do you want this to look? This is the MEMA app. And so it was designed by MEMA employees. So whenever you download it, just know that all the MEMA, MEMA employees had a say-so on the color, on the design, on the layout of everything. And that was just one one way that we were able to incorporate the entire staff of MEMA, which there's only 170 of us on a good day, but we were able to incorporate all of them and because their opinion and feedback matters. Absolutely. So there's, we're coming up to five minutes to go. So any more questions, get them in quickly. Um, I just want to um, take a moment to sort of ask each and um, every one of you, we've got... Um, so, so much that we've covered here, but I, and I know there's more we could cover. Um, if you could tell me about, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Mallory actually, because we have a, an interview coming out with Mallory soon um, about what you've been doing around a guidebook for the media. So perhaps you would like to tell us about that. Yes. So um, I don't know if everyone can see this, but we designed Mima's media guidebook and this is written by former journalists. There are four of the five of us who are all former journalists. And we don't expect these very green reporters to understand anything about disaster recovery. And so we put it all in a guidebook for them. We sent them, we, we designed it um, with the reporter and the media in mind. So what are your frequently asked questions? How do you understand the disaster assistance um, uh, program and how all of these programs work and how do we even get a presidential declaration so we wrapped it up all into one and um i've gotten really good feedback on it because our media folks can help us um set expectations that mima is not going to come in here and rebuild your entire community we, we don't have that capability so they are our extra messengers and they are huge partners in emergency messaging. You need them. Anytime I talk to folks who are taking a PIO class, I said, if you think the media, um, if they're the enemy, you were in the wrong class. Um, I was, a, I, I used to be one of them. And so it, this is a really great guide. It is on our website, msema.org. Um, I have our Department of Public Safety who wants to do one for them for the law enforcement side to explain to them a little bit of the judicial system and how that works and why things, why we have to say things are under investigation and those types of, those types of things. And so we even gave them how can MEMA help the media and how can the media help MEMA as well and so we try to be very transparent with them we try to feed the beast with all of our drone video and things like that um it really does help them am i spoiling them a little bit absolutely but they do a great service for us as well 
as opposed to thank God, I can call them up and say, hey, I need you to do this. And it, they do it for me. Um, if anyone gets a chance just to, to look at this, um, it's a fantastic document. Um, I say we, we in, uh, interviewed about this and that'll be going live soon. Um, I was really impressed by it. I, I think it's great that you've done this. So thank you. Um, Wayne, is there something you'd like to tell us about? I know you do some great stuff online with your blogs and your training. So uh, what, what have you got going on? Well, um, I, I am actually in my last year, I'm, I'll be retiring early next year. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to continue on with the training. I actually started at my own company last year just to start working on some training classes that I could actually, um, sell commercially, uh, because I do a lot of training here in the County or I had been before COVID hit. And that's, so I slowly started back doing that. Uh, but the biggest thing, and I know several people, I think I've, I've seen a few people uh, list some uh, organizations. Uh, if you're if you're a communicator, you need to join an organization or several if you if you have the opportunity. Uh, the National Information Officers Association is one that I've, I've been with for several years. Uh, these organizations are great, uh, if not for the, the training value, but also just for the, the networking. Uh, that's invaluable to get the phone numbers of people who have been there and done that. Um, uh, I'll, I'll probably make sure I save Mallory's information because she's been there and done that. Uh, Joseph, I'm going to be in touch with him because he's, he's, you, you have so many resources available to you to help you when you have an emergency. Um, and really quickly here in Cobb County, we started our own little organization several years ago, uh, maybe four years ago called MAPIO, Metro Atlanta PIOs. And we started that, and Joseph made me think of this. We have we have a calendar, a yearly calendar. Each week has a theme, uh, and it's outlined. And we have this basic little post. You can change it up. Uh, the organizations, each organization can change it up as need be. But we have things that we want to touch on each week, um, and it's it's great to have that available and on on hand. Uh, the, Media knows that we'll do interviews based on that subject each week. So they, if there's nothing going on, if it's a slow news week, they can call up one of our organizations. Hey, can we talk to you about crime prevention? Of course you can. That's what we're, that's what we're covering this week. So um, networking and having a, a calendar for social media posts does help. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Josie, if you've got 60 seconds, because I need my time as well. So. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. If you want access to Nextdoor, you can apply at nextdoor.com forward slash agency. I'll pop that link in the uh, chat. And then one thing I'll add is relationships are everything. Spending time getting to know people, being able to communicate matters. I have 19,000 people in my contacts that I've met since 2006. Um, I have people's cell phone numbers. I text Mallory when I need something or I have a question or Christine. It just matters. You have to invest in your relationships and how you're going to get in touch with people. And text often wins during disasters and crises. Well, thank you. Um, I am so honored to have spent this time with you guys. It's been brilliant. And I, I just love how it gets my brain going. And now I've got some ideas about what's next. But um, the one thing I want to tell people about is that next week, uh, we are actually publishing our first guidebook on community engagement that I wrote myself. So I'm very excited about that. It's going to be totally free, available to PIOs or anyone really. I know my mum wants a copy. Um, so please just uh, sign up to our mailing list, join um, us on LinkedIn. Uh, we'll be having another 
Ecom Surgery next month. Um, I'm currently at the ESPIOC conference in Colorado, so um, I'm having a great time here. But I will be at Capio next week in Monterey. Um, so if you're there, uh, drop me a line. Um, but anything you ever need. Um, and finally, thanks once again to Mallory White, Joseph Porcelli, and Sergeant Wayne Delk. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.